When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So let's welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here for this week's Know Your Foe episode. And this week, a big one against the Los Angeles Chargers. Looking forward to it. And here joining me is Steve Hagland. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me. And uh, could not be more excited about this matchup this coming Sunday. I think it's going to be a great one. Yeah, it really is a, a, a premier AFC game. It's a little surprising uh, that, you know, this is a uh, not a national game, maybe, uh, not a 4 yeah. p.m. game. Yeah, you guys uh, feel that way about it, too. Yeah, absolutely, and I like I understand the NFL's flexing rules, right? Uh, of you know changing games twelve days in advance, but I mean, you look at the schedule the rest of the day. Like, I really wish that you know more eyeballs could be on this game because, to me, this is the best game of the day. So I absolutely wish this were a primetime game, or like you said, even a four p.m. game where more people could be watching it. Yeah, certainly a game. I think we'd, we'd say that the. The, the winner will take a step closer to maybe the Buffalo Bills as the best team in the AFC. Buffalo certainly is is out there right now. Kansas City, I think, a step behind at this point. Uh, Cleveland, probably a step behind with some injury concerns with Baker Mayfield. So, uh, you know, this is this is a very significant game in terms of the AFC power structure here. And and uh, not necessarily a buy to be determined, but but a good ch- chance that a, a you know, a two, three, four seeding can be decided from this game. Yeah, this is a big tiebreaker game, and the Chargers just had one of those with with the Browns, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think there's just kind of a lot up in the air in the AFC North, right? Like the Ravens, you, you guys could definitely win the division. The Browns could definitely win the division. And at this point, it certainly seems like the Chargers or the Chiefs could win the AFC West. So you really never know what kind of tiebreaker help you're going to need. And so you've got to be able to beat teams like the Browns and the Ravens when you match up with them. Or you know the Titans, the Patriots, whoever, the, whatever the case may be, um, you prefer to keep your losses for the NFC, which the Chargers have obviously done with the loss of the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is definitely a big week nationally. I think this is a big week tiebreaker wise for both of these teams, and it's a good benchmark week for both teams as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Stephen, first of all, let's let's uh, tell people where they can find your work, whether it's uh, on Twitter handle or where you write. Yeah, so I host the Guilty as Charged podcast. You can find that on YouTube, um, or you can find it on Twitter, at Podcast 17 You can follow my personal Twitter page, at Stephen I. Hagland. I also write for the LAFB Network. We do a, a lot of good stuff over there. The LAFB Network covers uh, the Chargers, the Rams, the UCLA Bruins, and the USC Trojans. So 
If you're a college football nerd kind of wondering about USC and UCL, we've got you covered there too. Uh, if you want to know more about the Rams and the Chargers, we've got you covered there. And uh, yeah, I'm very active on social media. So if you want to know more about the Chargers, uh, you can definitely give me a follow at Stephen I. Hagland and the podcast at GC Podcast 17. Okay. To be clear, you, you'd prefer to be called Stephen as opposed to Steve. I don't. Either one is fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. So let's let's uh, review the offseason first for the Chargers, if you would, in yeah. terms of their big moves and, and uh, what happened. Well, the biggest thing for the Chargers coming into the season was the offensive line. Um, they had to do a better job protecting Justin Herbert, who was, uh, you know, the most pressured quarterback in the, uh, in the league last season. Um, they had, you know, the 32nd ranked offensive line, according to ESPN. They, it was like the 29th ranked offensive line, according to Pro Football Focus. So they had to go out and upgrade the offensive line. And I think they've done that. They drafted Rashawn Slater in the first round, who's been, you know, as advertised, been very, very good. They signed Corey Lindsay from the Packers, uh, signed, made him the highest uh, paid center in the league. He's been great as well. Then they went out and added my, Matt Filer, who I'm sure your listeners are a little bit familiar from yeah. uh, his days with the Steelers. He's been very solid. Uh, they also signed Ode Abushi, who uh, unfortunately just tore his ACL, but he was playing very well. Um, and then, you know, they, they brought back Brian Bulaga. At right tackle, he has uh, dealt with some back injuries, so he really only played the first half against Washington. Um, but the four improvements that they made have, you know, paid out for them. And I think, um, you know, whether you're into pro football focus or not, it's it's pretty clear that the Chargers upgraded their offensive line, um, dealing with some injuries now, but they're still a much improved unit from last year. And that really was the biggest thing was uh, giving Justin Herbert some protection. And then, of course, there was uh, a big coaching change, too. You know, the entire coaching staff was switched out, except for the defensive line coach who they brought back. Everybody else is new. Mm -hmm. And so Brandon Staley is now the head coach. Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. Ronaldo Hills, the defensive coordinator. And it's been a a very up and down, very aggressive coaching staff. But I think everybody, you know, if you ask a Chargers fans if they've been happy with Brandon Staley, they'll tell you yes. Um, And it's been extremely fun to watch him so far. Yeah, obviously, incredibly aggressive fourth down coach. We're very familiar with that in Baltimore. Harbaugh was one of the first to, <laughs> yeah. to really get to that. Um, there have been others too. It's like the Falcons had a, a Mora. I guess was a was a, a very aggressive fourth down coach. But right. how how is the media treating him? And I guess in a lot of those cases, the podcast and and blogger media treating him in terms of the fourth down decisions. Well, everybody's been uh, you know very vocal about their. Uh, fandom for Brandon Staley. He's had a couple clips go viral from his press conferences. Um, you know, one a couple of weeks ago about the importance of running the football while also not needing to run the football. So he appealed to the masses of, you know, physical Twitter football and also analytical football. So people have been really, you know, giving him a lot of love. The fourth downs have been really interesting because like on paper, you know, you look at that and some people are like, wow, he went for it, you know, eight times, nine times on fourth down. One of them was a fake punt. So technically the Chargers are eight for eight on fourth downs right now. If you count the ones only exclusively limited to the offense, um, people have been raving about those decisions. And it makes sense that when you have, you know, your best player is Justin Herbert, that you want to give the ball to him as much times as possible. So um, people have been, you know, raving about those calls. And I think they've been the right calls, but, you know, at some point, you know, the math says that those are going to stop being, you know, converted, you know, at least at some level. So I think, you know, the Chargers definitely have to do a better job on early down efficiency at this point. That's kind of the weak point of the offense. It's great that they can convert these fourth downs, but, you know, at some point it's going to come back and bite them in the ass or butt. I don't know if we can start the show. By yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll pretend you've got to be able to. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> but at some point it's going to bite them in the ass, right? And so ideally, you'd like to see the fourth down, the number of fourth down attempts come down and the number of third down conversions go up. Right. Okay. So, what is the most extreme fourth down they've done that was not the punt? Uh, what's the most extreme so far? They've been uh, gone for it a fourth and eight, fourth and seven, fourth and six. So, uh, against the Browns this week, they went for it on fourth and two on their own 27-yard line. Okay, right. That, that's that been the most extreme, like, circumstances, you know, circumstances-wise. Um, against the Chiefs, they were going to go for it on a fourth and four, ended up having a false start penalty, which backed them up to fourth and nine, and they still went for it, and they converted it. 
So Brandon Staley is not afraid. And, you know, the Chargers are doing this um, all-in series on YouTube for the fans. And one of the things that he said in one of the clips recently is that third down isn't really third down for them anymore. They don't view third down as like second down. you have to convert it. <laughs> yeah, he views it as second down. So yeah. I think there is some give and take there, right? Like if your offense knows that you're going to go for it on fourth down, that allows you to be a little bit more aggressive on second and third down because you know that you have four chances instead of three. So like there is some give and take in terms of you know the play calling there, but it's been it's been very stressful to watch. I was at the game on Sunday against the Browns, and when he went for it on fourth and two, I think everybody kind of was holding their breath and you know had their hands in their faces, just anxiously awaiting the play to be over. Um, and then thankfully they were able to convert that play. Yeah, I, I don't expect this to continue, of course, after yeah. Monday night football with Lamar. But I don't know if you noticed that the last four touchdown drives that they had, they scored them boom, 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 19 first downs. They went to third down zero times. Wow. All first and second down plays. Yeah. So it was a relatively remarkable thing. But, but you know, obviously the Ravens with Lamar have been very, very aggressive on fourth down. Uh, yes. Let's let's move on a little bit here because we really need to get through a lot of this. So I, another thing I like to talk about is developmental players. So who are the year um, three and four players in particular who are taking that step forward, two, three, and four, so that you know you can maybe sign them to a second contract? Well, the biggest and most obvious one is Mike Williams, uh, the receiver who uh, essentially has been serving as the team's number one wide receiver there. The offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, uh, made some Michael Thomas comparisons in the offseason. And at the time, we all rolled our eyes and were like, no way. Like, Mike Williams, <laughs> like, he's just a jump ball guy. Like, we've never seen him be used as even like a consistent wide receiver, too. Like, he's been a solid player. He's had one 1,000 yard season, he had 10 touchdowns one year. But that's what he was. He was a jump ball guy, like almost exclusively under the previous coaching regime. And now he's being used in a much more versatile route tree. The number of jump balls has come down significantly, uh, which has helped him stay healthy. So he's the biggest one. He's, you know, on pace for a a big payday. You know, you could argue that he's Mm -hmm. a top 10 receiver in the league. And it's been great to see because they drafted him seventh overall you know, back in the day. And so they've needed this version of him. And I think we're finally seeing him play to his potential right now. Okay. So he's, he's in year five and they already had exercised the fifth year option. I know that they were talking about last year, potentially trading him. At least there was talk from other teams about go out and get Mike Williams, but such a huge cap hit. Nobody, nobody would really be interested in that for this year. Right. Jeremy Fowler, I believe is the one who said that they were taking calls about Mike Williams uh, before the draft, before this 2021 draft, um, nothing was able to come to fruition. Of course, he's still on the team. Uh, and thankfully, they didn't because he's been awesome. I think he's going to get paid um, a, a large sum of money. And I, I hope that it's with the Chargers. That's not historically been uh, the general manager's MO in paying players more than he thinks that they deserve. Um, you know, we saw that last year with Hunter Henry who just, you know, got to a point where he was too expensive. And so um, I'm hoping that's not the case with Mike Williams because Justin Herbert loves him. The Joe, the coaching staff, like I mentioned, Joe Lombardi, they all love him. They think he has this great potential to be a wide receiver one. And, and we all love Keenan Allen, right? But he is getting up there in age. Mm-hmm. I do think he has the skill set to kind of prolong his career. But I think the days of him being a number one receiver are kind of limited. So I, ideally, the Chargers are able to bring Mike Williams back next year on a long-term deal make him the wide receiver one and kind of move into the next era there. Okay. Well, I guess we'll get to some of the other players uh, in that are in that two, three, four year period as we go through the positional things, but the draft uh, this year's draft, what, what surprises uh, from, from where people are done, obviously Slater has been everything you hope for. Yeah. He's been so good. Um, You know, he's outside of this particular Sunday against miles Garrett, um, he's been, you know, borderline dominant at times. And so he, he struggled at times with miles that tends to happen as you guys know, playing him twice a year, miles Garrett is a freak of nature. Um, the second round pick Asante Samuel jr. Has had a little bit of ups and downs. He was the defensive rookie of the month for September. He was very, very good in those first three games, kind of struggled against the Raiders kind of struggled against the, uh, Cleveland Browns on Sunday. So he's going through the rookie up, ups and downs at corner. Uh, but he's mostly been playing very well, and, and they need that conti- to continue. Outside of that, I think you know we heard a lot of buzz about this rookie class in training camp. 
There haven't really been any other players to you know get on the field very much. Josh Palmer is kind of the wide receiver four right now. He gets a couple of targets a game. Um, the others have really making impacts on special team. Nick Neiman, the linebacker, is a special tackler. Uh, it looks like is my connection okay? You can still hear yeah, me good. You're okay. Yes. Okay. Um, Chris Rumpf is rotating in as the fourth edge rusher uh, behind Joey Bosa, Chenon Wosu, and Kyler Fackrell. So there's some rotational players, but it's really only Slater and Samuel Jr. that are key contributing starting level players. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's not bad still for a draft to get two that are contributing yeah. Im- immediately. And then you certainly hope you pick up a third and a fourth as the, as the years right. roll out. Um, long run cap situation. Obviously, you know, you're entering a golden era with Justin Herbert now yeah. in his second year. Yeah, so you have Herbert on the rookie deal. You have Slater on the rookie deal. So the two most premium position, or two of the three at least, you're on rookie deals, which is nice. Um, they're projected at right now, I think, at $55 million in cap space next season. Um, that can go up if they cut Brian Balaga, which will free up, I think, $11 million. Uh, that's I would you know almost guarantee that that is going to happen because he's injured again, hasn't really played very many snaps. His biggest contribution is recruiting Corey Lindsley uh, for the Chargers, unfortunately, which is great. But you know you still want to see some on-field production, so they'll they'll have a really solid amount of cap space. I think a good chunk of that will go towards extending Mike Williams and extending Derwin James, uh, who is playing on the fifth-year option right now as well. Um, so, or I think fifth-year option Fourth year. next year. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, fifth year is next year. By the way, um, so I, those, I, I have to say this just because Derwin James is the guy I really, really wanted in 2018. And and it would have been <laughs> counter to the Ravens' um, needs as they perceived it at the time because, hey, we've got, you know, Thomas here, Earl Thomas. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I said, okay, if you, if you actually signed him before 19, so they didn't have Earl Thomas yet, but they had Weddle and they had they Jefferson. They Weddle, right? Yeah. So anyway, they, they, they went into the draft and incredibly, he's slipping through the rounds. I'm like, this is the most exciting thing ever. Minka Fitzpatrick got taken which he was the other guy that I really loved from that draft. And, and he got yeah. taken, I think, at number 11. And then Derwin James slipped to 16. I was like, we've got him. And, and then Baltimore has traded the pick. And <laughs> so uh, it was very unfortunate. And then, they, of course, they end up getting Hurst at number 26, who, who, 25, who hasn't, you know, obviously got traded already by the Ravens. But, but uh, more than that, they got a little bit of draft capital to help them later on in that draft, have one of the greatest drafts ever. But still... Having Derwin yeah. James additionally would have been that much nicer. Yeah. <laughs> Derwin's a fantastic player, man. And yeah. it's been, um, you know, really great to see him stay healthy more than anything because he's had two years in a row of, of bad injuries. But um, Brandon Staley, you know, loves him. Every, t- every time he gets to talk about Derwin James, he speaks so highly of him. He calls the plays for the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Um, they use him in – he's playing six positions right now. Uh, for the Chargers, which is you know amazing to watch, you, you'll the Ravens fans will see him all over the field. Uh, he lined up as an edge rusher this past week against the Browns, yeah. had a sack. So um, Derwin James is going to be all over the field, and you'll see a lot of number thirty-three on Sunday. Okay, uh, I'm not looking forward to success from Derwin this Sunday, but but <laughs> I certainly understand what a great player he was. Even as a rookie, I mean, he was a great pass rusher when he when he was yeah. all pro. Uh, but that uh, what a player. Okay. We'll move on. Current injuries. Uh, Brian Balaga is a big one. Obviously, he's not going to be playing this week. Storm Norton has been starting in his place. Um, He had a really tough game against Dallas, against Micah Parsons in his first game as an edge rusher. Kind of understandable because you don't have any tape on Parsons. You don't really know what his moves are or anything. Um, Other than that, he's been okay to serviceable. He only gave up two pressures this past week. Um, against the Browns, he gave up uh, six pressures against the Raiders and, and Max Crosby. Um, I, I, I kind of think that there was some leeway there. Some you know potentially could have been four or five. So he's been okay. You know he's a former XFL undrafted free agent, so not expecting a ton out of him. As long as he's not you know wrecking the Chargers game plan, I think that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kenneth Murray is the one on defense, the a former first round linebacker uh, who they drafted last year in the same draft as Justin Herbert. Um, he's not going to play this week. He's on injury reserve. Um, we're waiting and seeing right now, uh, about Drew Tranquil, who's one of the other linebackers. Um, we have not gotten an update from Brandon Staley, uh, yet about his injury. Um, so the linebacker core is kind of, you know, in flux right now. Kaiser White, uh, is the other backer. He's played very well, in my opinion. 
Um, but if Drew Tranquil is not able to play this week, then they'll have to go to uh, Nick Eamon, the rookie out of Iowa, or a former undrafted free agent rookie, Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga from Oklahoma State. Um, and against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, that's obviously not ideal. Um, that's about it, other than Ode Bougie, who I mentioned earlier, who tore his ACL. Um, and they have Michael Schofield, uh, who will play in his place. So those are the three big ones, is Abushi, Bulaga, and Kenneth Murray. Okay, so Michael Schofield uh, was in Ravens camp, of course, and was one of the guys I wanted to hold on to as good tackle depth for the Ravens. And they had spot on the roster for him. In fact, they're not using it now. And uh, would have really been a good one to keep. He's, he's played okay? Yeah, he's like I said, he's only played the one game against the Browns, but you know he's a former Charger, so we're very familiar with him. Um, he, he's a serviceable player, right? Like you mentioned, you can play tackle or guard. Um, so it was a good signing. They signed him after they lost uh, Brian Bulaga officially on IR a few weeks ago. Um, so having that death is, has been good. If anything else happens to the right side of the offensive line, the, the next man up would be Brendan Hymas, who's a rookie uh, tackle slash guard out of Nebraska. They're kind of wanting to you know give him a redshirt year, which is why they signed Michael Schofield. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're okay. I think, um, not as good as we used to be with Ibushi and, and Bulaga out there, but, um, thankfully Schofield and Norton have been, uh, serviceable death players. All right. Let's move on to the offense. And obviously Herbert is, is the center of everything. Just to start with what, what he brings to the offense in terms of strengths and weaknesses, if any. Oh man, he's, he's been so good. You know, we, uh, we heard all summer long about, potential regression from him, particularly on like third downs and under pressure, because those are areas that he really excelled at as a rookie. And he's been, he's been fantastic this year. He's taken an MVP level leap in my opinion. Um, It brings an incredible physical frame and potential to the team, you know, has a great arm. Um, You know, he had two 70 yard touchdown passes to Mike Williams on Sunday. He had a ton of big, you know, 50, 60 yard touchdowns last year. Um, the area of improvement that we've seen the most in him is just kind of, uh, taking more singles and doubles when the defense has given them to him. And so I think last year there was so much emphasis on the deep pass that he kind of would hold the ball too long, which would, you know, obviously does not help a struggling offensive line this year. He seemed to be more comfortable taking those singles and double doubles, which I think, uh, is great for the offense as a whole, gives his uh, other playmakers, you know, more time to make some plays and, you know, prolongs his career as well. So that's been the biggest area of improvement this year. Um, and it's been, you know, really fun to watch. I think he, like I said, I think he's playing at an MVP level right now. How often is he taking off and running with the football? Um, not a ton. He, he On Sunday, he took off uh, three times against the Browns, ended up scoring a touchdown. Um, it, it's generally in like the three to five range. They don't use, they don't use him as a runner very often, um, outside of the occasional quarterback sneak. They're not, they're not really designing runs. They do call a, a lot of RPO actions. So he has the option to run. Um, but that's, like I said, like, you know, he'll, he'll take off and run probably three times, five times tops in a game. Use of the mesh point when they do that, or they, they don't go to the mesh. No, they do the mesh point with, and usually they'll have, uh, a bubble screen to one side with Keenan Allen or a slant with Mike Williams is the other one that they'll do a lot. Um, but for the most part, it's he he either uses the pass option or he hands the ball off. He doesn't really you know use his own legs very often. Okay, and they, they run mostly out of sidecar pistol or under center? Um, occasionally out of pistol, but mostly out of out of sidecar. Okay. All right. So most of most of those mesh options are coming from from the side from one direction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, All right. Ravens fans obviously familiar with that. Go go from left to right across the offensive line. You kind of did this already, but kind of maybe give us your your own color on this grading of 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 how good those players are from left to right, starting with Slater. So Slater, I think, you know, obviously uh, there's only the five game sample size, but I think he's been, like I said, borderline dominant. I would give him probably a you know, in a general sense, probably a B plus, um, obviously for a rookie, if we're just saying rookie, I probably would give him an A plus, mm-hmm. um, uh, Matt Filer is solid to above average. So I, I would say a B right there. Corey Lindsley, in my opinion, is one of the best centers in the league. I'd give him an A plus Michael Schofield slightly above average. So I'll say C plus C minus, and then storm Norton kind of similar C plus C range. Um, if they had been, you know, the healthy players, I think we'd see, you know, kind of B's across the board, but, 
Um, right now, that's kind of the situation. Okay, so the right side of the offensive line is where there's a little bit of weakness, at least. Now, Schofield, an yeah. experienced lineman, clearly, but the Ravens do obviously a lot of stunting, a lot of targeting of gaps to try and uh, get opportunities for their pass rushers. Right B gap looking like the best place, right C gap? Yeah, I, I think with Ode Abuji in there, him and Storm Norton were finally starting to piece you know, the chemistry together against the Chiefs and against the Raiders. Um, but the Washington football team, you know, once Storm Norton came in that game and um, the second game, the Dallas Cowboys, they really <laughs> threw the kitchen sink at Storm Norton. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a tough couple of uh, of games for him. So we'll see. That's a work in progress, right? Because we know how important communication and chemistry is. Um, so we we definitely could see a bit of a, a struggle again uh, from that side of the ball because Schofield and Norton have only played the one game together. Um, but yeah, it, it would be the B gap and the C gap on the, on the right side for sure. I wouldn't try too much on the left side because Slater and Filer are, are doing that at a very high level. All right. And Abuji, this is the ex Bengal, correct? Or is this somebody um, else you guys drafted? He played, he played on the lions last year. Okay. Um, he's really bounced around. He, he was a career journeyman really. Uh, I don't know if he played for the Bengals, but uh, he was th- lions last year. Fair enough. I'll, I'll look it up later. Uh, look through the wide receiver corps core now, and you've talked a little bit about Mike Williams, Keenan Allen in terms of his age, but take us through what each of them provides the passing game. So Keenan Allen, uh, he, he's kind of the slot outside hybrid kind of player. He's the route runner technician. Um, you know, he, he really can get open against anybody. They're using him a little bit more in the intermediate and deep range than the previous regime did. Um, so a little bit more, you know, dig routes, deep crossers, um, not not very many go routes. It's more of like the deep crossing routes. Um, you know, the previous regime, it was a lot of drags, a lot of slants, a lot of hook routes. Um, so they the new staff has opened up his route tree a little bit more. And, he, you know, he is catching some more deep passes, which has been really fun to see. Um, Mike Williams, like I said, he, he's kind of a deep ball threat, deep route runner. Um, but they've been using him a ton on slants, too, because he's so physical. He's so big um, that it creates a lot of opportunities for him to create yards after the, after the catch. So, um, you know, he's more outside guy. He never goes into the slot. It's almost all from the X position. Okay. Um, and then Josh Palmer kind of does a little bit of, of everything for them. You know, he runs a lot of the same routes as Mike Williams, does some of the same stuff for Keenan Allen. So he's kind of the, the substitute change of pace guy for those two. And then Jalen Guyton is their deep threat speed guy. A lot of go routes, a lot of digs, a lot of uh, short crossing routes, try to get him uh, the ball in space. So he's the only speed guy on the roster, unfortunately. Um, That is kind of an area where I wish they could uh, make some moves potentially at the deadline. After that is KJ Hill. KJ Hill's the fifth one on the roster. Um, He's really limited athletically. He's kind of uh, just your basic route runner insurance guy, but he is their punt returner. <laughs> Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's been kind of a hot topic among Chargers fans because he's uh, sure-handed but doesn't really offer much after the catch. Um, and then they've got some other interesting guys on the practice squad, but those are the five on the active roster. You know, just mentioning the punt return game for, for a while, <laughs> there's almost nobody who does it really well at this point in the NFL. Devin DuVernay had the longest yeah. punt return in the league at 42 yards this year. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's incredible that that would be. You know, we, I grew up in the area of Larry Upchurch and, you know, players like that. And you you grew up in the area of I grew Devin up in Hester. Devin Hester, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So we, we, we had, uh, had guys. Uh, I hope I have the first name right on Upchurch. But anyway, it's Rick Upchurch. Rick Upchurch, Denver. I'm not sure, honestly, okay, but anyway. even like, I mean, you guys had Jacoby Jones who came sure. to the Chargers for a little bit, and it is an interesting trend because it seems like a lot of teams are just kind of moving in the direction of, well, just catch it uh, or fair catch yeah. it and, you know, not drop the punt. And I think that's kind of where the Chargers are at right now. Too. Yeah, the, the the importance of special teams gone gone way down in the NFL because kick coverage is just not as important. Yeah. I mean, you can kick the ball in the end zone anytime you want pretty much so it really is a choice by the kicking team to pooch and then you know even the return team doesn't have that much control over the thing you're trying to avoid penalties mostly more than anything probably (laughs) and uh you know get the ball back to about the 20 it seems like all the return men in the league are standing right at the goal line hoping the ball goes over their head and literally like hoping the ball will go a yard or two deep so all right. Yeah, the Chargers, um, they had a new special teams coordinator, which is, uh, he sounds like a very smart man, but 
Um, right now, they're 31st in special teams DVOA, which is uh, mm-hmm. obviously bad, but it's it's an upgrade for the last season, what they had. So uh, it, it's been an uphill climb on special teams, and there's just there's no juice on, on any aspect of the return game for the Chargers right now. All right, all right. We had to look for some weaknesses in this Charger team that looks very dominant <laughs> here. So running backs, everybody I think knows about Austin Eckler and, and how yeah. good he's been and how high a percentage he's taken of the snaps. But take us through the running backs and, and whether he's a fullback at all. The Chargers ever use a fullback? Yeah, so the Chargers use uh, an H-back, Steven Anderson. They'll kind of give him some reps at fullback. Um, he's technically their third tight end, but he really does more of the H-back fullback stuff. Um, Gabe Neighbors is their actual fullback. He gets about five to ten snaps a game. Uh, he's a core four special teamer for them. He's actually Justin Herbert's best friend on the team, which is really funny. <laughs> um, so the, the, they'll use Anderson more as that blocking type than Neighbors will, but he will get some plays. Um, they've run a fullback dive, I think, three times on the year so far. Um, so they do use one. And then the other running backs, Justin Jackson is – uh, second on the depth chart, uh, unfortunately, a player that just has really struggled with injuries when he's on the field uh, has been very productive. But, it, you know, he's hurt again. He sh- he's supposed to be back this week, but we'll see how that one goes. Um, they drafted Joshua Kelly out of UCLA last year. Uh, very disappointing rookie season. You know, struggle with some fum- fumbles, struggle with confidence. Um, he's actually been a healthy scratch for uh, most of the season until Justin Jackson got hurt this past week. So they activated him or had him active this past week. And then Larry Roundtree is the other one. He's been really kind of serving as the RB2 in terms of carrying the football. He's a rookie out of Missouri. Um, you know, he's kind of the uh, thunder to Austin Eckler's light, uh, lightning, if you will. Very big physical back. He also returns kicks for them. Um, not super efficient at this point. I, I think that's that's kind of the tough thing with him is that you we all know that he needs a lot of touches to get going because he's that kind of back. Um, but he, he is uh, technically the second running back in terms of touches. Okay, I think we skipped the tight ends there for a minute. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, so Jared Cook is, is the main tight end. He's been uh, a great you know addition to this team in replace of Hunter Henry, much cheaper, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, and he's provided some juice athletically. They do a lot of uh, stuff to get him you know after the catch opportunities. Um, so he, he's get, definitely getting up there in age, but he still has some juice there. Um, and then the second tight end is actually a guy named Donald Parham, uh, former XFL star who saw some action last year, but he, he seems to be uh, significantly improved this year, particularly as a blocker. Um, and he's incredibly efficient. I think he's got like seven catches and four touchdowns right now. Like it's, it's crazy to watch him play. Um, and then they drafted a guy named Trey McKitty out of Georgia in the third round, he's another one of the players. He, he's not really been active very often. He's only played in one game, uh, only used as, as kind of a blocker. But uh, Jared Cook and Donald Parham are the ones. Donald Parham is 6'8", so they really like to use him in the red zone, get him some uh, contested catch opportunities, and so far so good on that, on that end. Now, Jared Cook is a guy I remember when he was playing for the Titans, and, and a guy who's been around the NFL forever now. It seems that th- it's his yeah. 13th year in the NFL Always been, a, I think, a pretty serviceable receiver. I, I, it's hard for me to understand. It's easy for me to understand why he's still around, but it's hard for me to understand why he's never really a guy who's gotten paid that I can recall. Yeah, he's really bounced around, had a couple seasons with the Packers, a couple seasons with the Raiders, a couple mm-hmm. seasons with the Saints. Um, he's on a one-year deal, so it's gonna be that's going to be an interesting one in the offseason uh, to see if they want to go kind of all-in on Donald Parham or maybe draft a tight end early because it mm-hmm. seems like there's going to be a, a good class this year bring Jared Cook back on another one-year deal. Um, so he's in, he's been a fun player to watch, fun addition. The, the connection with him and Justin Herbert has been uh, almost immediate. They're, they've missed on some throws, but you know you can tell that Justin really trusts him. Uh, Jared Cook in contested catch situations and yards after the catch play. So uh, it's been fun to watch for, for sure. Yeah, at, at his age, I wouldn't think there's tremendous demand. So the Ravens have obviously had a number of players, Pernell McPhee, Anthony Levine, who fit into this category, that they become uh, permanent one-year extensions. Uh, and, and Cook may be one <laughs> yeah. of those. that you know he, He's on yeah. a one-year contract until he retires with, with the Chargers if he's got that good connection. Uh, common plays and formations always something I like to talk about. We talked about a little bit about pistol sidecar, whatnot. How often are the under center would be another question. Uh, is it usually 11 personnel? What are they doing? 
So they, um, the most common one is the 11 personnel. They like to have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on the field at the same time with uh, Jalen Guyton because Jalen Guyton is the, uh, the field stretcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I should have prepared the, the exact numbers in terms of under center, but it is, it is most frequently under center for sure. Um, they like to do um, – they're not fully a Shanahan system, but they have a lot of that based in there because that's what – um, uh, that's a lot of what they ran last year. And then their quarterbacks coach, Shane Day, uh, comes from San Francisco. So they do a lot of similar play action boot, uh, concepts mm-hmm. to get Justin Herbert kind of out on space, get him throwing some off platform throws. So it is mostly under center, but like I said, they do a lot of RPO action as well. Uh, um, when they go into the shotgun, they do a lot of, uh, 21 personnel with two tight ends. And so they they kind of mix it up. The, you know, Lombardi comes from the Saints. They do do a lot of personnel mix, mixes and matches. Um, but I think 11 personnel and 21 personnel are the most frequent. I, I want to go back to the boot uh, for a moment because that's a staple of, of what the Ravens have run for years or did under Flacco anyway. Kind of a zone block left, naked boot right, which for right-handed yeah. quarterbacks is the more typical way, of course. Um, it's always been my contention and, and having seen Flacco and Lamar play, I've got that much more evidence, is that with a mobile quarterback, you almost never fool that backside edge defender who's responsible for coming straight downhill on that play. And that we, when you have a, a immobile quarterback or a, a less mobile quarterback, like Flacco certainly was, but like Herbert is in between somewhere, where, where you, uh, you're you more likely to get away with the boot and create time and space for yourself to get a good throw off that can go 3-2-1 in terms of the level instead of, you know, having to unload very quickly to level one. Yeah, I feel very similar as well. I think Justin Herbert, I mean, he ran a four, six, eight, I believe like he's, mm-hmm. he is pretty mobile. You know, he's got some good instincts back there. Um, there have been a couple of times where you can tell that the edge rusher just it, it is not even playing the run. Like he's just going mm-hmm. straight for him, which I think is kind of a trend around the league. So um, they definitely need to do a better job of that. They, they've tried a couple of times to bring kind of like a backside tenant tight end uh, who, who's kind of like the leak concept. Um, you know, they might need to uh, flirt with some, you know, just kind of using that as a blocker as opposed mm-hmm. to a leak concept. Um, but yeah, they do it. They do a couple of times a game where they try to roll them out and then throw a deep shot either on a go route or on, you know, kind of a scissors concept, you know, going to the backside. All right. Uh, let's move on with the defense. Uh, so yeah. the, the most important question for me when you're when you're analyzing a defense is what's their base pass defense look? So if it's an, if it's a certainly a passing down, who do they who do they have in terms of personnel and package on the field? Uh, do they like to play with a second inside linebacker or are they forced to uh, on those downs or do they bring in a dime back and do that or even play seven as we did? We saw them play seven DBs against the Ravens in that 2018 playoff game. Um, so the, the three, four is their base package, right? So that's two inside linebackers. Um, what they do a lot of the times, especially with a team that has a a very talented tight end is they'll go into a big nickel package where, you know, they'll put Chris Harris at safety and they'll put Derwin James in the slot to, you know, play as that star nickel defender to match up with the tight end. Um, they do that against the Cowboys to match him up with Amari Cooper a few times. So they like to do a big nickel package and get Derwin James kind of moving around. Um, other than that, they do do a lot of dime packages uh, where they'll bring a, a player named Tavon Campbell in as their fourth corner. Um, sometimes they'll bring in Alohi Gilman, a uh, safety out of Notre Dame, to be that sixth defensive back. But for the most part, it's been Tavon Campbell. Uh, Campbell's a former CFL guy, you know, big physical 4-3 kind of player who they like to match up with some speed receivers. So... Um, their main slot defenders to answer your question are Chris Harris, then Derwin James, and then Tavon Campbell is, is how they like to mix it up. Okay, so because James's versatility is kind of clouding this thing, if they were playing a big nickel normally and they brought in a, it would be a third corner that they bring in because James is no longer really the slot corner. Would James be lined up at kind of like a weak side linebacker position then? Or you're talking about when they're four wide is when they would bring a, a fourth corner in to cover that? So their their regular nickel personnel is Michael Davis, Asante Semi Jr. on the outside, mm-hmm. and then Asir Adderley is their deep safety, and Chris Harris is the slot, and Derwin James is, is the box safety. So when when they go the big nickel, they they essentially just swap Harris and James, 
And then when they go to a dime package, they'll use Derwin James in the box again. They'll either bring Tavon Campbell to play the slot or they'll bring uh, Alohi Gilman in to play the safety and allow Derwin James to play the slot and keep a regular linebacker in the middle. So they like to mix and match a lot. Um, that's kind of Brandon Staley's MO, but Derwin James is really kind of that chess piece. Where, where is Staley's influence is greater over the offense or the defense? Uh, it's definitely over the defense. He, you know, he is involved in the offense. You know, I think that's a big reason why he hired Joe Lombardi because he knows that offense very well, the Saints offense. Um, and he's got a great relationship with Joe Lombardi that goes back, uh, you know, decades. Joe Lombardi was his offensive coordinator in college. Uh, and he spent a couple summers working with Lombardi uh, in New Orleans, just kind of studying the offense. Uh, but he is the defensive play caller. You know, he is the defensive genius. So um, that's definitely where he spends most of his time. All right. Um, uh, rotation and snap management is something I like to talk about, particularly on the defensive line. And, you know, yeah. being a 3-4 team, how, how do they – their front five really are usually the concern for a lot of rotation. How, how, does, how does that rotate – how do they rotate there? Um, so a lot of the times when they go into the nickel or into the dime, they, they just rush four, uh, or they have four down linemen instead of five. Um, Jerry Tillery, the former first round pick out of Notre Dame and Joey Bosa. Um, they're the ones who play the most. Linvaugh Joseph is, is up there in age, still highly effective, but he is kind of a, on a limited snap count basis. Um, Christian Covington has been serving as their uh, third defensive tackle, if you will. He plays kind of on a limited basis. He's bounced around a little bit himself, um, former Bengal and former Cowboy. And then the other edge rushers, there's really kind of a big rotation between Chris Rumpf, who's the rookie. He'll play about 10 snaps a game. Kyler Fackrell plays about 20 to 25. And then Uchenna Ngosu, uh, former USC Trojan, who's uh, a fourth-year player. And he's, he's the starter opposite of Joey Bosa. He'll play about 35 to 40 snaps a game. All right. Okay. So that, that is fairly significant amount of rotation. Even Bosa yeah. looks like he's being held to about 55 snaps a game, which if yeah. you had Joey Bosa, you'd want to put him out there as much as you could, of course, but uh, that's now they great. try to keep him fresh for sure. I think uh, in the first couple of games, they weren't really using Chris Rump very often. He was playing like two snaps, three snaps a game. Uh, so he's earning more snaps and some of that is coming from uh, Joey's Bosa's threshold to kind of keep him fresh. I think ideally, you know, like we'd like to see a more consistent pres presence opposite of Joey Bosa in terms of like having a true number two edge rusher. But between the three of them, I think, you know, I think it's an OK rotation. OK. All right. Um, the defensive line. Talk talk through them in terms of what they bring in terms of, of run and pass, what it, how they play. Uh, that's been the biggest disappointment of the team. And uh, if you you know, look at rushing statistics and uh, pass rush win rate, you're, you're not too impressed with the Chargers defensive tackles right now. Um, you know, we had a lot of high expectations for Jerry Tillery in particular. This is his third season. He showed flashes of dominance last year. Uh, that has not really come to fruition. You know, he's playing a different scheme, you know, under Gus Bradley. They asked him to do a lot of gap shooting, focusing on as a pass rusher. This year with Brandon Staley, you've got a two-gap as a defensive tackle, so you're taking on a lot more double teams. Uh, and it's it's been a big struggle for him. You know, he, he's not been as productive. Um, and then Christian Covington, you know, he's ideally somebody you'd want as like your fifth defensive tackle, fourth defensive tackle. He's their third. So he, he has like a, a specialist skill set. I think he has like that fourth or fifth, he would be fine. But they're really asking a lot of him. And then Linvaugh Joseph, like I said, he's older now. He's clearly not the same player he once was. He's still playing at a, a good level. But they they ask a lot of their defensive tackles, and right now it's been a big weakness. Um, they just elevated a guy named Forrest Merrill as off the practice squad who's an undrafted free agent out of Arkansas State. He's, he's your typical you know big, beefy nose tackle. But, you know, he's an undrafted rookie. So it, it's been a struggle, you know, up the middle for the Chargers this year. Okay. That's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Obviously, the Ravens haven't, haven't been running the ball effectively. They like to start with double teams in the middle, climb to level two, make those combination blocks. It's, it's something that um, with their current set of 
ancient running backs that they're that they're throwing <laughs> out there. They, they, I, yeah. I'm not sure they can ever recover the running game this year. But, uh, but this would be a good test for it if if the Chargers are having problems there and trying to, um, you know, maybe control the clock at some point if they ever get a lead. But at yeah. least try trying to uh, get something going on the ground after this last week. You know, it's yeah, well, it's. Ravens have one week where they only rush for 86 yards and, and everybody's up in arms over it. Not, <laughs> not so much yet because, you know, it was a big win and all, but it's still, you know, they only rushed for 101 or whatever the week before and people were already concerned. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's going to be interesting. You know, there was a similar thing with the Raiders a couple of weeks ago and they really held Josh Jacobs down. So against, you know, equal to inferior competition, I think the defensive line has been okay. But last week against, you know, the Browns interior trio, which I think, you know, is probably the best in the league. They got their butts whooped. And against the Cowboys, against Zach Martin and company, they got their butts whooped again. So um, it's a problem. You know, everybody in in Chargersville is hoping that they trade for, you know, Akeem Hicks, a Christian Wilkins, a Dexter Lawrence kind of player to, you know, bring in some reinforcements. Because, you know, when you grow when you're going up against these really high powered rushing attacks, it's been a big problem. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the, the chess match is there between uh, Harbaugh and Greg Roman and Brandon Staley. So it's something I forgot to ask about earlier, but the Chargers, we, I think we were talking about 22 cap earlier when you talked about 55 million, because that can't be this year's cap. But how, yeah. how set are they in terms of the ability to make a move at the trade deadline? They, they still have some cap space? Yeah, they have a good amount of cap space. Tom Telesco is very conservative in that regard. Um, so if they wanted to go get an Akeem Hicks, cause I know he's due like $9 million the rest of the season, they have the space to do that. Um, you know, it's just a matter of if, if Tom Telesco wants to go out and make that trade. Um, but they, they kind of, you know, held some cap space, I think with the intention of, you know, waiting and seeing for Mike Williams and waiting and see for like how the offensive line pan together. So they, they have a good chunk of change right now that if they don't use, they'll just roll it over to next season. Uh, which has been another uh, staple of Tom Telesco. I, I, I'm all for rolling money into next season, but if you ever wanted to leverage money in a single year, this is the year to do it because nobody yeah. has cap space. You can you can trade your cap space for draft capital at a very high return right now. You know, if you eat yeah. a contract of a player you have and trade that player, you know the Ravens need a left tackle. Obviously, it's not Slater, but it, but it, it it could be somebody uh, else on a different team that is has a losing yeah. record and is willing to eat that entire contract, like maybe Jacksonville. Um, you know, it's 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 it should be going on now. And if if, if the Chargers having cap space when nobody else does or what few other other contenders do is a really big advantage, I would think that you know they yeah. could they could do very well yeah. with that. If they want to make a big move in in the trade deadline, you know, I think they certainly can. Um, a lot of that will kind of depend on the, the expectations because Tom Telesco has never really been a part of a, you know, push your chips in season. And right mm-hmm. now that's kind of appearing what the Chargers are on the cusp of. I still think that, you know, there, there are a few pieces away from being like true Super Bowl contenders, um, particularly, you know, up the middle of the defense. They've got to figure out a lo- the linebacker situation. They've got to figure out the defensive tackle situation. They need a right tackle. So. Uh, we'll see. Like if they want to go get Akeem Hicks, I think that will absolutely help solve their issues. I think I know he's banged up right now, but it's really just kind of a lack of personnel that's, that's causing their uh, deficiencies in the run game. And really there's no, <laughs> there's no end in sight. It's you get better people or this is going to be an issue all year long. Right. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about the linebackers and, and kind of, is there some platooning that goes on at any of these spots? Tell me kind of how they, how they like to deploy. Um, it has not been much of a platoon. You know, when Kenneth Murray was healthy, it was him and Kaiser white almost exclusively. Um, now that Murray has been out, it's been almost exclusively Kaiser white and drew tranquil. Um, so they have some younger guys, like I mentioned, Nicky, Nick Neiman, Eamon Ogbongwamiga, who will, uh, that will likely be a platooning situation if Drew Tranquil is unable to play this Sunday. Um, but so far, it's just been the two. And then sometimes they'll go, uh, when they go into the nickel package, they'll take uh, one of the linebackers off as opposed to one of the defensive tackles. And, and they'll do that, you know, kind of like a 5 1 look. Um, mm-hmm. But really, you know, Kaiser White, Drew Tranquil, if they're healthy, uh, they're going to be dominating the snaps. All right, that that five one five, you know, it's a it's a, a jumbo nickel. I call it. The Ravens have yeah. gone to that the last three years for the first time, really ever, and uh, it's 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 been something that's helped them 
patch their run defense together when their edge setters in particular are having trouble. Uh, so it's, it widens out that line, makes it easier to get that edge set. Uh, secondary, take us through the individual players, how they contribute to this defense. So Michael Davis is their uh, CB1, if you want to call him that. I, I like he, He's not a top-tier corner, but he's very serviceable, above-average kind of player. Um, he's 6'3", runs a 4'3", big physical outside corner that they really like. Um, if, if you're familiar with the Staley defense, you know that the thing that he likes to do is have one corner play press, one corner play off, and Michael Davis is their press corner. So he's kind of uh, their poor man's version of Jalen Ramsey. What Jalen Ramsey did for them last year was a lot of press action, and that's Michael Davis. Asante Samuel Jr. is the opposite corner. He plays a lot of off coverage, lots of zone. Um, and he's a very good tackler in space, very good ball hawk kind of player. Um, he's essentially his dad, you know, the, the same player. Uh, so if you watch the Sunday Samuel senior, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Derwin James, obviously the chess piece who we've talked a bunch about. Then Nasir Adderley is their deep safety. Uh, he had a rough go on Sunday against Nick Chubb and David Njoku, but you know, he had been, uh, kind of surging towards a breakout season before Sunday, um, big physical rangy safety who really compliments Derwin James really well. Um, Chris Harris is their slot corner. Um, he's definitely not the same old Chris Harris, but he's still very valuable. Great leader brings a lot in terms of tackling and playmaking in the box, but you could definitely, uh, you know, burn him deep if that's kind of, you know, that's the weakness right now. He's not as fast as he used to be. Um, and then Alohi Gilman, who I mentioned is, is kind of that, uh, third safety out of Notre Dame. Um, he's he's a bigger physical guy, kind of a liability in coverage deep. Uh, not the fastest guy, but, you know, they like his tackling ability in the box. And then Tavon Campbell is, is the uh, fourth corner who will play sparingly. Um, he's kind of that Michael Davis replacement as as a press corner. Um, he'll play in the slot and on the outside, kind of depending on, on uh, coverages and matchups. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, that's about it. Um, there's a couple other players on the roster, um, but they're mostly special teams guys. It's a, I, I didn't think this would happen at this point in the season, but I'm very jealous of the Chargers depth in the secondary. The Ravens had tremendous <laughs> depth. They traded a corner. They did, they had another, they tried to trade and, and ended up having to release him. And now they've, uh, you know, got significant depth issues in the secondary, not like the Colts, but significant depth issues. Well, I know they traded Sean Wade, which was, yeah surprising because they just drafted him but i don't even think he's playing for the Patriots very much is he yeah i i think he's actually been a little bit of a disappointment for them but but uh, he was a, he was a guy he looked pretty good in the preseason uh, he had an interception to, to close out one of the games and and uh, he he looked they playing him on the outside a lot instead of the slot and he played a lot better in the slot at ohio state and so it looked like they drafted their replacement for Tavon Young. Tavon Young's having a huge year for the Ravens, by the way. So it's so it's uh, interesting that, um, that 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 you know we're in that spot now. But it's a real question now of, of can they afford Tavon next year because uh, he's on the back end of a, a contract that's very expensive. Anyway, we're talking about the Chargers here. Let's get back to it. Um, uh, in terms of defending Jackson Brown, Andrews, the Ravens' run game, what do you expect to see in terms of, of looks and differences from previous games? So um, against Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller, they really threw Michael Davis and Derwin James at those two players, you know, kind of mixed and matched. Um, you know, so Davis would kind of follow Kelsey or Derwin would follow Kelsey. So those are the two players who I think will be matched up with Mark Andrews the most. Um, you know, I can't imagine if, you know, they, they put him out on the outside. Asante Samuel Jr. is not going to be with Mark Andrews. Uh, they're they're going to want to have, you know, size on size. Um, and then really, if you're familiar with the Brandon Staley defense, you know, he likes to say, you know, they like to put a roof on opposing offenses. So mm -hmm. they'll have, you know, either Asante Samuel Jr., Chris Harris, one of the corners masked up with Marquise Brown, but he's, they, they are always going to have help over the top. So, the whole thing with Brandon Staley is he does not like to get beat deep. He prefers to kind of dare you to slice and dice or use the running attack to extend drives as opposed to getting big plays. So that's the thing with Marquise Brown to watch is, you know, who is kind of in those spaces, whether it's Alohi Gilman or Nasir Adderley, uh, who are kind of shading coverage towards Marquise Brown. The one that's going to be really interesting is the rushing attack with Lamar, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a different rushing attack than Cleveland. 
So it's going to be an interesting one. Maybe, you know, the Ravens are seeing the same kind of thing that they, you know, elect to hand the ball off and run inside more. If they run on the outside and the Chargers don't have true tranquil, it's going to be a problem because the other linebackers are not as athletic. They're not as rangy. But Kaiser White and Drew Tranquil are two former safeties. They're very athletic. Um, and, and the Chargers edge rushers, Uchenna and Wosu and Joey Bosa, are very good at cage rushing, keeping quarterbacks inside the pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's, also, that's, uh, that's all easier said than done with Lamar Jackson, right? So right. Um, that's going to be the biggest challenge, I think, is, is how do you keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket? Because they did a good, a good job against Patrick Mahomes, against Baker Mayfield, of, of keeping them in the pocket. But, I mean, those, those players are not Lamar Jackson. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, mobile quarterbacks are very bothered by what I call Star Wars trash compactor. You're too young to understand, but Star Wars trash compactor <laughs> pressure where they, sort of the first Star Wars movie, they, they get in a slowly compressing pocket. And that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it, it drives Deshaun Watson absolutely up the wall. The Ravens sacked him yeah. seven times in a game by doing just that. Lamar Jackson, I think, is actually quite comfortable waiting, waiting, waiting within a pocket that is slowly compressing. In fact, he's proved very adaptable to having um, bump pressure come from the blind side, which you do not see often in young quarterbacks, meaning if, you're, if your left tackle mirrors pretty well, as Stanley does, as Villanueva has given up a lot of into-his-lap pressures already in his brief tenure there, um, he, he does pretty well moving away from that after a bump, which it's, it's just very unusual. And often it, 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 with, with a lot of young quarterbacks, it creates an immediate incompletion, uh, you know, if not worse uh, when you have that. But as long as he, right. they can keep his hands off him from, from you know, getting on his shoulder pads and whatnot, he's been very effective. Yeah, so it, the thing that I'm going to be, you know, really focused on is that they've been using Drew Tranquil and Derwin James pretty often as blitzers over the last few weeks. Um, you know, like I said earlier, Derwin James lined up as an edge rusher this week, got a sack on Baker Mayfield. Hand in the dirt edge rusher or standing? He was standing. He was standing. I really like to see that. Yeah, it it was. Uh, so they had Joey Bosa against the right tackle, then they had Tillery, Linvaugh, Joseph, and then Derwin was Mm -hmm. was the fourth, was the fourth guy on the line. So they, they took off one of the other edge rushers and they put Derwin on the line, which was, it was super fun to watch in person, but. Mm Um, I, I, it's going to be interesting because ideally you'd probably want to have those two players, you know, nobody really spies quarterbacks anymore, but ideally you'd want to have Derwin and Drew Tranquil kind of, you know, at the mid level of the defense so they can react to Lamar if he's able to escape the pocket. But, um, you know, because that's, that's the trend right now is all these teams are not really blitzing good quarterbacks anymore. They're, they're Mm -hmm. preferring to drop seven, drop eight, um, so that's going to be kind of the thing to watch with Staley because he, he's blitzing more than he did with the Rams um, because I think he has better personnel in, in that regard. But, you know, that's going to be the thing to keep an eye on for sure. All right. Well, Stephen, maybe you could pick one charger you think matches up extremely well against the Ravens. Who would that be? And off could be offense or defense or one of each if you want. Well, I think we all kind of saw uh, how the Ravens secondary has, has struggled with the bigger physical receivers. Uh, you know, Brian Edwards against the Raiders had a big day and then Michael Pittman had a good day for the Colts. And so I think Mike Williams, like he's the X factor, in my opinion, if he's able to kind of get going and have a big game, that's usually when the Chargers have have been rolling on offense um, on defense. I think it's going to be Asante Samuel Jr. because he kind of struggled against Odell Beckham this last week. You know, he made a couple plays on the ball uh, that were poor decisions, ended up giving some big plays. So he's going to need to bounce back in a big way against Marquise Brown. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a very fun matchup to watch. And then, you know, it's all about Joey Bosa up front because some teams have really come with some good game plans in terms of chipping him, in terms of mm-hmm. play actioning away from him or running the ball away from him. So the Ravens, you know, they're not afraid of, of going up against best on best. And so I think that's going to be an interesting to watch how they go about uh, blocking Joey Bosa because I know they're they're hurting on offensive line without Ronnie Stanley and obviously oh, yeah. Orlando Brown. So uh, if Joey Bosa is able to get going, Mike Williams able to get going, then obviously that's going to bode well for uh, the Chargers on Sunday. Yeah, I think I think we'd all agree with that. Uh, absolute pleasure to to have this pod with you, Stephen. Thanks so much for coming on and explaining the Chargers scheme and personnel to this Ravens audience. Uh, much appreciated. One more time, uh, Twitter handle and where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me at Stephen I. Haglin, personal page, at GC Podcast 17. 
and the LAFB network is where I write and edit. And yeah, Ken, it's been fun. It's been a great time chatting with you about the Chargers and the Ravens. Okay. And I'll be doing a show with you right after this, right? <laughs> yep. That's right. right. Sounds great. And uh, uh, other folks, if you're out there and you want to do a 25 years podcast, please hit me up. The first 25 years of Ravens history, we're celebrating that. Whatever you want to talk about, make it as obscure as possible so it's narrow and we can discuss it in some significant depth. Great topic recently was Rashawn Melvin. He played five games for the Ravens, but had a marvelous, interesting career in that very short amount of time but we talked about him you can make it a single game if you like whatever you whatever you'd like to do but we're not looking to do the mount rushmore of ravens steven thanks again for joining us yeah man happy to we'll talk to you next time on film stuff This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.